Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. Very good. Well, before I speak to you today, we're going to have a short presentation. And for those of a nervous disposition, this does involve the use of masks. Some people were listening to the word. I can't be certain of what they heard. The gospel of Jesus was full in their face, but which one of them would seek God's embrace? Surprise fell down when he heard God's word. That God should choose him seemed so absurd. He was the man who sat at the back, shy and scared and frightened to ask. Angry stood up and shook his fist hard. There was no way he'd follow that God. His heart had been hardened. He'd let no one in. Bitter and twisted, he'd stay in his sin. Sad just sat there with tears in his eyes. He looked up to heaven. Would God hear his cries? He begged God to meet him and wipe his tears dry, to give him a future, to give him new life. Pride shrugged his shoulders and strutted along. So self-assured he didn't need anyone. He had fame and fortune, for that he'd worked hard. He was no snivelling weakling who needed a god. Happy couldn't wait to let God in. He started to clap and cheer and sing. The joy that he felt was more than he'd known. Jesus as saviour had called him his own. Some people were listening to the word. I can't be certain of what they heard. The gospel of Jesus was full in their face, but which of one of them would seek God's embrace? Some people were listening to the word. I can't be certain of what they heard. The gospel of Jesus was full in their face, but which one of them would seek God's embrace? Thank you very much, girls. <laughs> I'm sure there's an Academy Award or an Oscar in there somewhere. <laughs> but this morning, I thought I might take a look at some of the reactions and the responses to the empty tomb on that first Easter day. The religious leaders of the day were angry. They thought they had got rid of the troublemaker when they, they handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. In fact, they were so frightened of the truth coming out that they tried to bribe the soldiers who were supposed to be guarding the tomb to lie and say that they'd fallen asleep on duty, which was a bit ridiculous seeing they had to move this huge stone, you know, so I'm sure it would make a big noise when it was moved. But the soldiers were frightened, the disciples were confused, they were hiding in an upper room, scared of the authorities, but some believed and were filled with joy and amazement. A whole range of emotions and responses to the empty tomb. But for this morning, we're going to look mainly at the women who were the first to discover the empty tomb and a couple of the disciples. So I'm going to ask Etta to read to us now from John chapter 20. Thank you, Etta. version. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Thank you, Wetty. So, John in his gospel only mentions Mary, but the other gospel writers mentioned three other women who accompanied her. She was the one who ran first and foremost to Simon Peter to tell him the good news, so that's probably why she got a mention, and it's Mary Magdalene, not Mary the mother of Jesus. But it's very unlikely that Mary would have gone alone because it was dark, and Mark's gospel tells us that you know, this small group of women were concerned about how were they going to move this big stone away. But I always think it's really encouraging that the Lord used women first and foremost to find out that it was, the tomb was empty and that they were the first ones to go and share this good news. Because in the culture and society of that day, women had no place. They were just belongings. A, a testimony of a woman would have not been counted at all. It would have been discounted because there were women. And I have to say that Mary Magdalene's shady past did not in any way disqualify her from being used by God. The women had brought spices to complete the work of preparing Jesus' body, a task that had begun by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, but they probably hadn't been able to finish the task because of the lateness of the hour when Jesus was taken down from the cross and the nearness of the Sabbath day, which meant there was no work allowed on the Sabbath. So the first thing Mary says when she runs to Simon Peter with the news is to tell him the tomb is empty. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Again, she says we, so we know there was more than one person there. These women loved Jesus. They wanted to do something lovely for him in bringing their burial spices, but they had no expectation of him. You know, they came simply to pay their respects. They had no idea of what had happened. And I just wonder if that's true of some of us this morning. We believe in God, we believe in his existence, we love Jesus, but we have no expectation of him doing anything in our lives today. And yet he's a resurrected saviour and he's a God of miracles. As a young woman, I went to church. I was actually in the Young Wives group and the minister's wife was musical. So we used to put on charity concerts. I remember playing the part of the principal boy on one occasion. But I even read the Bible and thought that Jesus was a good man who went about doing good things, that he died and he went to heaven. 
It was only when I came to this church in 1982 that I realized that actually Jesus is still alive and that it's possible to know him now. Of course, there are always those who are skeptical. And, you know, I had an RE teacher at the grammar school who used to give us explanations for all the miracles of Jesus. Now, it's been suggested that the women went to the wrong tomb. But that doesn't make sense because then Joseph and Nicodemus would have corrected them because they'd put Jesus' body in the tomb so they knew where he was. And it's what was inside the tomb that reels out that suggestion. You see, it says, uh, sorry, Peter and John ran to the tomb to verify Mary's story. And it makes me smile to think, you know, John was a disciple, humble enough not to mention his own name. He just says the disciple Jesus loved. He didn't mention his own name there, but he was competitive enough to mention that he got there first. So <laughs> and he didn't go in at first. But when he did, what he saw convinced him that a miracle had taken place. In verse 8, it says, Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went inside. He saw and believed. But you think, well, what did he see that made him believe? When Peter saw the grave clothes, there's a Greek word, which I can't pronounce it properly, but it looks like theori, which means you contemplate something. You observe it. You scrutinize it. And he was puzzled. And he didn't know what to make of what he could see. Whereas when John saw, it's a different Greek word. We've only got the one word, but they've had a different Greek word. And it looks like aiden, meaning to understand something, to perceive the significance of what he was seeing. But I wonder if you're here today and you're contemplating. You're just thinking about it. You're not sure or else perhaps you understand exactly what that empty tomb means for you today. Now, most of the disciples and the early Christians, they believed because they met the resurrected Jesus. But John believed because of what he saw in that empty tomb. Because after the crucifixion, Jesus' body had been wrapped in strips of linen, laced with spices and fragrant oils. And these, it's quite likely, would have set into a cocoon shape. You know, the, the oils had dried out and it set in this shape. And what John saw was that the body had passed through these cloths. They weren't unwrapped. They were still in that sort of cocoon shape. And the cloth around the head was just laid to one side. Now, if somebody had come in and stolen the body, the, what would the, why would they be wanting to carry a naked body away? They would have taken the cloths with them. And it was that shape, that cloth shape, that convinced John that Jesus had actually passed through the cloths and was resurrected. In verse 9, it says, They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead, but that sight convinced John. And then we read, The disciples went back home. I thought, well, that's a bit of an anticlimax, really, isn't it? You know, they've just witnessed the empty tomb. And then I thought, but on the other hand, you know, they were just ordinary people. And it must have been quite overwhelming for them to begin to think that such a thing could have happened. There was too much for them to take in. And home is our safe place, a place to go to think things through. I think some of them had doubts. You know, perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you're thinking, well, you know, perhaps John Lennon had it right. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. So, you know, did John Lennon get it right? It's not surprising that they were confused, but what do you want to believe? The words of a man or the words of Almighty God? 
Only Mary stayed at the tomb, and the Bible says she was sad and distressed. She was weeping. The angels in the tomb ask, why are you crying? And then, just this is the like amazing bit, then and there, Jesus is there. I'm not sure why at first she doesn't recognize him, but it's only when he called her by name does she realize who he is. And perhaps her eyes were blinded by the tears. Perhaps it was something different about his appearance. But we can't begin to imagine the utter amazement and then the rapturous joy. And don't we all like to know that Jesus knows us, each one by name? Several years ago, I had a lovely Christian friend. She's gone to be with the Lord now. But she had a very difficult life. And unknown to me, one day she was crying and just asking God for help. She was really desperate. And she'd said to the Lord, if I could just hear you say my name, I know it would be okay. Like you spoke to Mary in the garden, just say my name. And haven't we all been in that desperate place sometimes? And as I said, I was unaware that my friend was praying that prayer on that day. But a few days earlier, I had been in a bookshop and I bought a book, which I then popped in the post to her. So on the morning that she was praying this prayer of desperation, the book dropped through a letterbox. And when she opened it, the title of the book was When God Whispers Your Name. Now, it was a small thing, but it meant a lot to her. And God is still doing those miracles. It's just amazing that Jesus knows us all so well, that he knows each one of us by name. He knows you, and he knows your name. The great preacher Spurgeon said, Jesus can preach a perfect sermon in just one word. Then he instructs Mary, Jesus instructs Mary to go and tell his brothers, and the tears are turned to joy. And again, Spurgeon said, I do not remember the Lord Jesus ever called his disciples brothers till that time. He had called them servants, he had called them friends, but now that he's risen, he called them brothers. And I love the use of the personal pronouns, my father and your father, my God and your God. Not our father, because it's God is his father by nature and he's our father by grace. So what does that empty tomb mean for us today? Romans 4 tells us he was delivered to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus' death on the cross was the payment for all of the wrong things that we have done. But what if it wasn't enough? The cross was the payment, but the resurrection is the receipt, showing that the payment was perfect in the sight of God. It is finished. It is enough. I mentioned a little while ago that a few ladies from church had a, a little book group, and I just wanted to read a little bit from that book, which just gives you an idea about the empty tomb. The man is writing, I have eight kids. Suppose that one weekend the eldest is being very good in doing his homework, but the other seven don't want to do their homework. They're bored. Mum and Dad aren't around, or so they think. So they're wandering around the house looking for mischief, and they find some fireworks, which they're not supposed to have. So they go in the garden and start exploding them. But just suppose Mum and Dad are actually in the house after all. And we come out, and we confront the seven children who have participated in this crime. And when they see us, all seven are very much afraid. 
But just as the younger siblings are about to get what is their due, just as we are about to go ballistic, the eldest brother comes outside. He steps forward, and even though he's had no part in his siblings' actions, he offers to be punished in their place. And so we send him to his room. You're going to stay there, you're not going to have any supper, and you're not going to come out until we tell you to. As long as the elder brother is in his room, the seven wayward children are a bit nervous. Is this actually going to work? Are mom and dad serious about this? As long as the room is occupied, they are not confident that parental justice has been satisfied. But as soon as the door opens and big brother comes out and we tell him he's free to go, that empty room indicates the satisfaction of parental justice. It did work. The debt has been paid for. The guilt has been cleared. The punishment has been completed. You see the connection? The empty tomb on Easter morning is a sign that the swap has worked. The punishment for sin is death. So if Jesus defeats death, then he must have taken all the punishment. There is none left. The resurrection is the loud declaration that the swap has worked. Justice is satisfied and there is nothing left to pay. And the resurrection of the Lord Jesus means that we too can have assurance of our own resurrection. Those who have put their trust in Jesus will have eternal life in heaven. 1 Thessalonians says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This morning, we've looked at the varying reactions to the empty tomb. Anger, sadness, doubt, amazement, and eventually joy. But I wonder where you are today. I'm just going to ask the band if they'd like to come back up now. I recently saw a film. My friend Linda and I went to see this. And an elderly man was in hospital, and he was facing death, and he was very scared. He was terrified. Now, during his working life, he'd been a tally man at the pit, and his job was to give each miner a tally with a number on as they went down into the pit. After their shift, they would hand the tally back in. Now, obviously, it was a very responsible job. If the tally wasn't returned, the person could be trapped underground, and a rescue team would need to be alerted. In this film, this elderly man facing death and very frightened telephoned his son and he said, I'm on the list and nobody's got my tally. Well, it was a very poignant moment in the film, I can tell you. And I sat in that cinema and I thought, praise God, Jesus has got my tally. I wonder if you can say the same today. God loves you. And you can be sure of your place in heaven for eternity. You just have to ask. Tell God that you're sorry for the wrong things you've done and ask Jesus to forgive you. You give your life to Jesus Christ and he will take care of your death and he will bring you safely home. If you've got any further questions, if there's anything at all that you're not sure about, there are leaders of the church here today who would be more than happy to talk with you. But thank you very much for listening.